I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. There are only a few performances in the history of film and TV that burn themselves into your memory for their sheer virtuosity and ambition. But for me, Sir Derek Jacobi's critically acclaimed performance as the twitching, stammering emperor in I, Claudius is certainly one of them. It was wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to him about the experience during lockdown earlier this year. Derek, thank you for doing this. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. And you! It's so great. How have you been? Okay, I mean, surviving like all of us. Um, okay, yeah. we're we're getting the hell out on Friday. We're going oh, great. We're going to France till the end of September. Lovely, lovely. Well, listen, thanks for doing it. I'll get straight on because I just wanted to, you know, the reason I wanted to talk to you, obviously, you know, you've done so much, uh, but Claudius is such a, a big role for you and for so many other people, actually. But I just I wanted to talk a little bit before Claudius because you left Cambridge, you went you went to Birmingham, and then you went to the Old Vic, and that was about eleven years, I think, eight or ten years or something. It, it was, yeah. I, I started in Birmingham. Actually, I started in Birmingham on September the nineteenth, nineteen sixty. So it'll be sixty years this year. Wow. Yeah, on the 19th of September this year. But can you remember your first experience on a film set? When did you first go on to a film set? Was it Man of Straw? Uh, the first film set I was ever on was 1970, 71, Fred Zimmerman, The Day of the Jackal. Oh, wow. That was the first film I did, yes. And was... Um, what? Well, that was because his daughter was an usherette at the Vic, and she rather liked me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there must have been another reason as well. Well, I think she helped. <laughs> <laughs> but what was that experience like going onto a film, having had your basic sort of experience of acting from the theatre? What was that like uh, for you? Uh, it, was, for you? it was very different, very different. Um, we were on location in France, I remember. The two things I do remember about it was that on my first uh, day of filming, um, the hotel was within walking distance from the set. And I started to walk, and a car drew up beside me and said, uh, this is your car. I said, no, I, no, I can see that, I can walk. No, Mr. Zinnerman says, car. 
So we had a little bit, look, I can walk. Eventually I had to get in the car. And the other thing was that on the second day, that night, um, I went into the restaurant and I became ill in the night. And I'd obviously got food poisoning. The next day, they had booked um, a room in the hotel, in, in the hospital in Cannes, and they thought it was appendicitis. They were going to rip my appendix out. And thank goodness I was saved again, this time by the wife of the producer, who said, give him, give him till lunchtime. And if he's no better by lunchtime, then operate. Well, by lunchtime, I was coming, well, I was a bit better. Wow. Filming, you know, it was another world. But were you able to deal with things like the the continuity changing? Were you able to deal with things like, you know, having to wait around so much, things like that? The real difference between what we do in the theatre, which is so sort of, it's like rolling down a hill, isn't it? But television, stop and start, film, stop and start. Was that a real shock to you? It, it was also because you're in somebody else's hands. On the theatre... Um, it's you and the audience, and you're in charge. Anything to do with the camera, um, you're not in charge. Somebody else is making all those artistic and creative choices for you. I mean, you learn your lines, you think the thoughts, you uh, feel the emotions, but somebody else is, is deciding what bits of that the public are going to see, what bits work, what bits don't. So you're really um, at the mercy of, of somebody else making decisions that you automatically make yourself on stage. And can that be frustrating for an actor who's been in theatre to be on television? Can, is that a frustrating process? In a sense, it's frustrating, but they pay you more. <laughs> compensation. I mean, the, the, only, the only rich actors I know are, are, are film actors. I don't know any really wealthy actors whose lives, uh, like mine, have been mostly on stage. No, we make good livings, yeah, but um, the, the mega bucks are the film boys. So the, frustrating is, the frustration is sort of uh, assuaged by the, uh, the dollar. The paycheck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, let's go on to I, Claudius, because you'd worked with the director and the producer before. You'd done Man of Straw with them. You'd worked with Herbert Wise um, before, had you? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd done a, um, a, tele a BBC Two television serial called Man of Straw on BBC Two in 19... Uh, early 70s, early 70s, yes. So when they were considering for your I, Claudius, were, was that, it was a no-brainer to them or was there other people involved? Or Oh, yes, I was not the first choice by any means um, because the piece was owned by an American company, um, curiously called London Films, but it was an American company. Um, and uh, they obviously wanted an American. They wanted Charlton Heston. Um, and the, the, the Brit said, no, no, no. So then the Brit suggested um, Ronnie Barker. Wow. Um, and, but then uh, my, my salvation, I suppose, came when, I think it was Martin Lismore said, 
Um, why don't we have just one actor who ages through it, rather than a young Claudius and an old Claudius? Because uh, the old Claudius would, would have most of the, of the part, i.e. Ronnie Barker or Charlton Heston. But let's go for a younger actor whom we can age up. And that was what I'd done in Man of Straw. I'd started as a sort of teenager and, and um, aged to uh, late 50s. Uh, well, th this one, um, eventually, I had to uh, go and have dinner in an Italian restaurant in Shepherd's Bush with uh, the man who was running London Films, who didn't know me from a hole in the ground. And um, charm him. And I think that, that was the best performance I've ever given. Uh, <laughs> because at the end of it, he said, OK, we'll go with him. OK. It happened. And in that, in that dinner, is that sort of like an audition? Or is he asking you how you would approach it? Or It was more an audition, yeah. Um, I, I was being sized up. How I sounded, how I looked, you know, what, what I was saying what I came across as, I think. And thank goodness it, 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 it worked. And before that dinner, was it something that you had read? Did you know the book? I knew the books, yes. Um, uh, I, Claudius, and Claudius the God. I knew, I knew oh. the books, yeah. And was that just recreational reading or did you prepare those, that reading for that interview? Uh, no, I'd already, I'd already read them. Long before I knew it was going to happen, I read them when I was at university, um, and uh, I loved them and loved them. Um, uh, and Jack Pullman uh, wrote the, the the series, and it wasn't easy because um, there's very very little dialogue in the books. But the one good thing is that Claudius is telling the story. So Claudius is in every line of the book because it's his story. Well, he's the narrator, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I presume that all the old Claudius top and tail of scenes that we have, and then you age at the end, I presume you would do that all in one, or did you do it chronologically, or did you do all the young stuff first? Um, no, we did it chronologically. Uh, there were 13 episodes. Mm. Um, I remember it started to be broadcast when we were still on episode eight. So we had a lot more to go and it went out and the critics were a bit iffy. They weren't quite sure. Um, and as, as it progressed, they, um, they changed and they said, yeah, this is, this is good, this is, this is, this is okay. So was that a bit was that a bit like being in the theater where you're performing and you get iffy reviews did that affect the company as you were as you were performing uh no i mean i i never read reviews i didn't read them i was told that they weren't wonderful uh and then i was told they're getting better um and by the end you know we were they were raving and um but it was you know it was the days sort of early days in White City. Um, if you look very carefully at the show, um, you, you will do a scene in, in a 
certain location, and then you'll transfer to another location. But what you don't know is that it's the same location, but the potted plants have moved. <laughs> it was that basic. But how did you come to rehearse? Did, did you rehearse it like a... Because one of the things uh, that I would suspect with the initial iffy reviews is it was quite revolutionary for a television piece. I mean, it feels like... It doesn't. It feels like a, a, a middle ground between theatre and television because they're big scenes, they're theatrical scenes. There's big speeches, uh, but it's very much a camera piece, you know. Yeah, absolutely, that it was. We felt very much uh, like um, a theatre company, very much so, um, and we we were encouraged to um, be uh, kind of big in the performance. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't kind of televisual in, in the sense that it was inside your head all the time. We, we were encouraged to, to perform it, you know. Um, and in, in that sense, it, it was different. It was very different. And as you say, the long scenes. We rehearsed for uh, 10 days each episode um, in the rehearsal rooms at Acton. Um, then we would have two days in the studio when we would do uh, record the whole thing. Then we'd have a day off and then we'd start the next episode. So, whoa, back up a second. So you had 10, ten days to rehearse an episode and only yeah. two days to shoot that episode. Yeah, only two days. And... and <sighs> And each day finished at 10 o'clock. If it went over 10, uh, not the actors, the technicians got extra money. So come 10 to 10, and you've got three scenes left to do. It was, you know. Wow. You were encouraged to go a bit faster. And when you're rehearsing for that two-day shoot, is Herbert, um, is he talking to you about your character? Is he giving you character notes? Is he, is he being a theatre director and then spending time with the cameras and moving the cameras around and finding his best angles at the same time? Yeah, um, very much uh, theatre director, very much so. And then the last, I think the last two days of rehearsal, um, uh, Jim, the cameraman, the main cameraman would come in and he, he would rehearse with us. He'd be the camera um, for the last two days. So when we got into the studio, uh, we all kind of knew where the camera was going to be at any one time. And in that first episode, was the rehearsal different? Did you, have, did you come to the rehearsal room with your character? Or did you have time, as in a theatre piece, to sort of discover your character in the room to go down some blind alleys or something, or did you have to arrive with it? No, no, blind alleys were visited often, yes. Um, I went down several. Uh, but uh, a, a lot, a lot of it was to do with the look of the thing. It had a very specific look about it. The design, um, us, our costumes, and me particularly, who, who, uh, would, uh, as uh, when I played old Claudius, of course, it was five and a half hours makeup job. Um, and there, there was a, a sweet moment, actually. There was a young a boy who played 
Claudius um, as a kid, a little kid. Yes, yeah. And um, he came in, I think, about the second episode. And I'd uh, already established Claudius and his ticks and his um, with his head and his limping and all that. And uh, this, this kid was acting beautifully. And Maggie Tysack was playing my mum sitting next to me. And at one point we were watching him rehearse and she said, look, look at Ashley. And I said, yeah, yeah, he's great, isn't he? Great. But she said, look at him twitching. And I said, yeah, that's fine. But she said, he's twitching the wrong way. And oh, I, wow. I've done that and this kid was doing that. Oh, wow. But nobody would know that. Lovely moments. And so we said, um, Ashley, love, you're, you're twitching the wrong way, love. Can you do it? And it was so confused. He started to hear like, <laughs> all over the place. Do I go left or right? Yes, yes. That is brilliant. And when you're working on his mannerisms, you know, his, his stammer and his twitching, did you, did you know which letters you st- stammered at? Or was it more about a feeling of how the rhythm of the line was? Or did you just let it flow? Well, um, really, I let it flow. I mean, the, the first few scripts I got, uh, if I had to say the word please, they were printed in the script, P, 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 P. Uh, so we, we soon got rid of that. Um, and the uh, designer, Tim Harvey, had an assistant who had um, this, such a stammer as Claudius, and I used to back him up against the wall and say, talk to me, talk to me. And I copied him. And also what, what, I, what uh, I didn't realise at first was that he didn't have a, a stutter, he had a stammer. And there's a difference between a stutter and a stammer. A stutter, you repeat, but a stammer is, and I might be wanting to say mother. Yes. Um, so it's very difficult to help a stammerer uh, because you can't always guess what they're trying to say. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. And with the with the physicality and the twitch, uh, was that something that you purely came out of your imagination and trying, or were you watching other people? I mean, you'd say about uh, talking to this man, but with the physicality, did you arrive at that somewhere else, or was that just purely from your brain? I I, I think it evolved. I think it just. I, m- I remember putting a pebble in my sandal so that I remember what foot I was limping on. Uh, but that didn't last very long. And then I, then I knew that yes. the, the, the stammer and the twitch. Um, this, the difficulty was, and this is where Herbie was so uh, useful, was that um, as he grew older, he got better. I mean, he stammered less. He twitched less. And we had to work out at what stage we were at um, how much less we should be doing. And then we would go back and do an earlier bit maybe. And, you know, so he, we had to keep an eye on all those various physical idiosyncrasies. I have to say, I think that's one of the beauties of having seen it recently is how you go from someone who's totally sort of outside of that world, unconfident, private, to somebody emerging with a 
confidence into that world and how it physically has an effect on him as well. It's a wonderful uh, arc, that. And, and I wanted to ask you about how you, over 13 episodes or or whatever, how you mark that arc. Do you have all 13 scripts before you start? No, no, no. Um, this, again, was where um, someone like Herbie was so vital because he had that arc in his head all the time. Um, we, we kind of only had bits of it at a time, you know. So we relied very much on, on him to uh, remind us of what stage we, we were at, you know, because we had, I, there was lots of lines to learn, there were lots of moves to remember, there were, you know, um, with the cameras and everything, and uh, we needed Herbie, we needed Herbie, he, he was the mastermind, yeah. There's something very important, I think, just to talk about, because there is a sense in that show that it's a, it's an ensemble show. You're, head, you're the lead, obviously. You're the, uh, the, the character that we're all uh, there. But I think there's a sense of how actors can help each other out, actually. And there's that sense of ensemble. I know it's a, it's a television piece, but it's a bit more, you know, like I said before, a hybrid. How do, is that just about casting that ensemble, or is it something that certain actors, certain leading actors have to behave in a way that shows what an ensemble is. I think, I think you're right. I think it does, as they say, come from the top. If, if the lead actor is a bit of a diva um, and a bit of a, a self-lover, um, I think it's disaster. It's disaster because um, Hamlet can't before Hamlet can't be Hamlet without everybody else, um, and and it, it was the same with, with with Claudius. You've got a something great uh, leading role, um, but totally dependent on all the other characters, on um, Sean um, and and Maggie and Johnny Hurt and uh, you know all all of them. Yeah, and handing that baton on to each other, and I think. That's something that is wonderful in the show that you see people just, it's, it's like that game we play in rehearsal rooms sometimes of throwing a ball to each other. And, the, and you see that in your dialogue. Yeah, and then there was one scene, I remember, when um, it was late at night. Uh, we were getting towards 10 o'clock, you know, <laughs> a wishing hour. And the makeup girls were totally busy. Um, Johnny Hurt as Caligula had just eaten the fetus of his, of his girlfriend. Um, and they were so busily looking, making her, doing her, um, like, I made John up. I made John up. At about <laughs> 10, they gave me some blood and I was smearing it all over his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I've just been watching that scene as well. That's great. <laughs> yeah, well, I made him up. <laughs> So when, just also that sense of when we're working as actors before we arrive at set, what we want to bring to the rehearsal room, 
you're you have to be brave sometimes don't you in order to show what you've been working on and how you are and stuff like that what are you requiring from your particularly your director in a rehearsal room or on a film set to give you the room to be creative i i think you what you need what i needed was the freedom to uh to give the performance that um was in my brain and in in my heart uh, but that required total trust in um everybody else and in particular again Herbie Wise who knew the whole the whole spectrum of of the piece um but also for for them to trust trust me um and not to be um I shall I say not to be too picky you know don't inhibit the actor um by just be by saying you it's, it's those actors who who say um oh no my character wouldn't do that and they immediately close off 10,000 avenues of course your character in certain circumstances would do anything you know you you can't limit your character they every all of us i could in the right circumstances i could probably kill somebody in the right circumstances it would have to be incredibly extreme but 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 we are we are human beings we're capable of anything mm-hmm. so i you know if you say my character wouldn't do that would. i often i often think that thing of my character can always behave out of character yes yes <laughs> absolutely that absolutely as we all yeah. do as, as we, we all do. do yes makes life interesting and where does a character start for you i know there's the stuff like the barrel reed stuff of like if i need to get the shoes and stuff is it a mixture is it a mixture for you externally and internally are you you know you're reading the history of the time i presume you're reading about claudius you've read the books is it just seeping in is is everything sort of seeping in at once or is the one thing that you always have a routine into character i i think what what for me is always the bedrock is the text is what you've been given to say what you've been given uh, and why you say it your 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 job is also to determine where what you are saying comes from a head wise heart wise spleen wise um so the text is all important to make the text live um f- for for me is the most important um and and to be true to that to that text um and and it's certainly true in in shakespeare you've got you've got to believe every word you're saying knowing that a lot of it will go over people's heads you know the the actors studying the uh, shakespearean roles they it's difficult for them they don't understand it when they first read it um they've got to learn what it means learn to understand it and then they've got to deliver it like spoken thought so that the audience can understand immediately what what you're saying because they can understand your attitude i think the attitude is what is so important um the way you say it the way what you say it it's terribly important because 
the intonation, the attitude tips them off as to what it means. Uh, because a, a lot of the Shakespeare is involved, it is archaic. But if you say it in a certain way, and the dumpty dumpty dump, the, all that carry on, forget it, the iambic pentameter out. Um, it's got to sound like spoken thought. Like it's the way you speak perfectly naturally. And if that means you've got to make the poetry sound like prose or the prose sound like poetry, so be it. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a, also that sense of I've got to know what I'm saying before I can find out how I'm saying it, but also the reasons behind why I'm saying it is, is the big one, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're with other actors and you're in that, that scenes with them, is there a, do you like to discuss a scene with the other actors? Do you like to talk about your motivation? Do you like to uh, analyse the script? Or do you like to get it on its feet quickly? Or, you know, do you like to discover emotion? I like to get it on its feet, yes. Um, uh, I, there are a lot of actors, very good actors. Um, it's, it's easier to talk a performance do you know what I mean? It's easier to discuss a performance. Then you get up and try and do it, and it's a whole new world. So I, for me, the best way is to do it, get it wrong, make mistakes, embarrass people, embarrass yourself, but it, put it on its feet early rather than discuss it um, and then uh, get up and you can't, the discussion is easy. You can talk the performance. You've got to do the performance. You've got to do it. Yeah. There's this point, isn't there, I think, where talking is a very understandable fear. It's a barrier that you're putting up before you get on. Yes, it puts the, the evil moment off, doesn't it? Yeah. And likewise, I've always felt that where you, you keep your script in your hand, even though you know you know it for as long as possible. Yes. It's, it's, it's self-protection, isn't it? I'm not really doing it. Uh, yes, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, we're all cowards in that sense. Yeah, but you've got to, you've got to expose yourself. And, and, and that means you get it wrong. That means you're going to fall flat on your face sometimes. And, and when you're creating, if there is times, and, I mean, and in my life it's been quite rare in this moment, but when you really clash with a director or a producer about your interpretation versus theirs, I mean, not just character interpretation, but sometimes it can be simply the clothes they want you to wear or something like that or how they want you to stand or what. How do we negotiate that? Oh, it's this. It's it's not easy. I um, well, I think there are stages in in actors' lives and actors' travels and journeys through their careers. I mean, I remember very early on when when um, I was at the at the National in the sixties when we started in sixty three. There were no names, no pack drill, a couple of directors who were monsters and who thought that actors, only, were only, their creative juices could only flow if they were in a state of abject terror. And there were several directors like that. Um, 
who whipped a performance out of somebody um, and terrorized a performance out of you. Um, a lot of young actors, myself included, went through that period. Um, but the best directors are collaborators. The best directors uh, are on the journey with you and, and also making discoveries with you, allowing you to surprise them rather than dictate to you um, so that it's a journey you both go on. Um, he has his ideas, um, and quite rightly, you need, you need him. You need um, that support and that direction. But he, if he's a good director, I think he also allows you to do something, think of something that surprises him and delights him. And, oh, yes, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and, yes, you know, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, I've encountered, I mean, and again, a very rarely, but, you know, directors who actually hate actors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We get in the way sometimes. Yeah. 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 And it's so hard to suddenly be realising that you're on a film set where the director really doesn't like us. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, I'm, I'm, here for, I'm here for the coffee on this one. Yeah, necessary evils. That's what we are. We'll be back with more chat after this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. And I'm Claudius, because I have to ask this. You're all, even interiors, exteriors, it's all in the studio. Yeah. We're, watching, we're watching you on those sets. What are you seeing behind the camera? What's going on in front of you? When you're looking out on the auditorium or looking out on Rome, what are you, what are you seeing then? <laughs> well, I, I remember um, being in the, um, in the Colosseum 
and it was a, um, a bank of, of seats. And on the floor down there were crosses where, where each gladiator happened to be. The camera was on the floor down there. And we, we were being very grand and looking around, seeing absolutely fuck all. And <laughs> everything was happening down there. <laughs> that is brilliant. We had to use our imagination, I'm afraid, yes. That's great, because it must be very different then for you to be on, like, the set of Gladiator or something. Yes, when it was the, almost the real thing, yes. Yeah. Extraordinary. Real tigers, doped up to the eyeballs, but real. Yeah, they're all there. So the, your imagination is being asked to work less, I guess. Yes, yes, it does. It does. And I, I remember we sat there... Um, the three of us were playing senators. We sat there for days, days, watching these uh, gladiators and animals. And every time the camera passed the three of us, we'd have to work out before the camera uh, passes what face we were going to put on that day because we, we'd run through all our expression. Yeah. None left. <laughs> That's fantastic. That, that brings me to one of the things I wanted to ask you, though. It's in television. We do have to hang around a lot. There's a lot of film and television. There's, you know, you're not... There's a lot of other stuff going on, props and lighting and stuff like that. How do you keep yourself ready for the moment that you need to go, on? particularly on a long shoot? I mean, how long was I, Claudius? How long did that take to shoot? Six months. Yeah. So how do you keep your energy? How do you keep your both emotionally and physically? Well, I think um, there, was a lot, there was a lot of work to do. There was a lot of lines to learn. There was, mm -hmm. as I say, the makeup took forever, uh, costume changes. Uh, there was always something. Um, there, was, there were very few moments of uh, boredom. I would never yeah. know. Never important, but you know they they say you, when you're making films and things that uh, um, you're paid to sit around. The acting's free. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> because you're 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 hanging around so much. I mean, for me though, sometimes I my energy can drop, and I can s slightly get myself into a place where I think, oh. Do I need to be here today? What's going? And I think I have to keep reminding myself of why I'm there, and what my job is, and you know where my moment is. You know. Yeah, I think that that is vital. Those those hours of sitting in a Winnebago, uh, waiting to be called, and you know, and yeah, it, it can be very tedious. Um, but, but as you say, um, part of our job is to. Be ready when called. Mm, yeah. You know. Which might be days after we were originally called. It could be days, yes. And tell me about, because obviously with Claudius, it's a big makeup job. You've mentioned five hours makeup. How, uh, do you have input into that or do you just wait and see what the makeup uh, artist is coming up? Do you? Well, when we, when we started, um, they... Did I had um, it was horrid actually. I was encased in plaster of Paris. It was it was 
bit scary, actually, with uh, straws up my nose, which was my only contact with the outside world. Um, and uh, the, the makeup girl, while the man was doing it, the makeup girl was holding my hand because I was being buried alive with this, with this thing. And as it set, it got heavy and hot. And, and then they crack it open and they take it off. And she builds up uh, the makeup from that, that model. Um, and, you know, we, we're talking of 1976. It's 44 years ago. Um, and the prosthetics were a bit rudimentary, you know. Um, and they took a long time to put on. It all went, they all went on in little pieces. And then they had to be melded together. Um, and it was full face. And I, I couldn't, uh, I had to have soup to a store for lunch because I couldn't chew because it would all break. And in the course of the day, um, she would rush at me. All day was spirit gum. I grew to hate spirit gum, the smell and the feel of it um, because it was in ev every orifice. Excuse me, that's the phone. Um, it was all over the place. But no, I, I, I used to actually give myself to her um, and um, let her get on with it. She knew much more about it all than I did. But the extraordinary thing was when I first put the old, old makeup on and we looked in the mirror and... Um, I look like our author. I look like him. Yeah. yeah. And that was she hadn't that was she hadn't designed it like that. It was a pure happenstance. But I look I look like him. I really did. Was that at the end of the filming process? Was all the old Claudius done at the end of the process? No, it was done every time. Um, and in the two days. If I had to do uh, old Claudius, um, we did that on the always on the second day, because if we did it on the first day, um, and I took it off, I was often um, very spotty when it came off, you know, um, rash and whatever, and they couldn't film me, so we had to do um, old Claudius every second day. Having just watched it, Derek, I am absolutely amazed that it was two days that you did all that, one episode, plus the old Claudius in two days. I mean, that is extraordinary. You, yeah, we, we rehearsed ten in the studio two, one day off, which was learning the next episode. Yeah. Right. So in the day that you had off, you're learning, you're learning the whole... The next episode, yeah. And when will you? When would you have got that episode? Would it be a couple of weeks before? It varied. It varied. Um, it could be just a few days before. Um, and also, when when you were concentrating on the episode in question, it was quite difficult to fast forward to the next. I mean, you you, you read it. You knew what the sequence was, but to actually hone in on it and think about it um, you were still thinking about the one you were doing 
And do you think then that the experience that you and the other actors would have had from weekly rep or whatever you, however you started in the business, that was helpful for going into that process? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I never did weekly. Um, um, it was my first job um, uh, was uh, Paul Weekly. Um, even so, you know, you got through a lot of plays in over the course of three years, over the course of three years. Um, and, that, and that sort of dexterity that you're finding in that process is helping you in something like I, Claudius. Yes, yes, because, because it helped in actually learning the words, uh, kind of verbatim. Then you're thinking about the meaning, the intonation, uh, why you're saying it, or, or, or the other, the the the, um, the depth of what is going on, yes. But the the actual learning came quite easy, and I I've always uh, not quite so much now because I'm so old. But I've always been a fast learner. Um, it helped me, and I uh, read history at university. It helped me enormously. Just learning facts was easy peasy. I mean, it is something that you need to keep in practice, isn't it? I mean, it just is some, I mean, the more you do it, it is a muscle. So it's that thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And in the theatre, obviously, when you're performing, there's the audiences there, they're slightly your guide. You can feel it. Who's your guide when you're in on TV? Who, is it simply yourself or is it the director himself? Or do you have... A, well, in, in I, Claudius, it was mainly... Herbie, the director, and Jim, the cameraman. He, 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 was, he was great because he would, Jim would actually give, give you notes. He'd just come up and say, uh, when you say that, when you look at that, don't, don't do this, look, look over there. And little tiny things which were very useful. Very so they were, they, were, they were technical camera notes rather than emotional notes. Oh yes, yeah. They weren't character notes, but they were they were notes that made made your character choices valid. Um, you know, because you may have made a lovely uh, character moment, but you were looking in the wrong direction for camera work. So he would tell you. And do you ever watch yourself? Did you watch the monitor, or did you just trust? Never. <laughs> You're putting two fingers up to me now. <laughs> crossing, crossing your fingers. Yes. No, no, I can't. I can't watch myself. I mean, there are, there are lots of actors who can watch themselves and be totally objective um, and say, well, I mustn't do that again. I don't like that. I, I'm totally subjective. I just hate the way I look, sound. No. So why? I mean, acting is, is difficult enough. So why put yourself through um, that if you don't have to. So you don't want anything between you and the inhabiting of the character that's external? I don't want to be aware of, of that as, as a spectator. I don't want to be a spectator at the same time as being a performer. Um, I, I, I can't. I can't. I mean, it inhibits me. It inhibits me if I see myself. Photographs. And, yes, I have a bit of that too. Well, particularly as I get older. <laughs> 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 but you said about uh, 
very luckily on uh, iClaudius, you were telling that story in a chronological way. How do you deal when you're filming and the chronology is all over the place? Do you keep a... Is the script your Bible or do you keep a book outside of that? Do you keep notes on a script or or, or do you just trust the continuity lady? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a short answer. Um, I... Uh, I take it, yes, I, I take it as it comes, actually. I, I, I don't, um, I, I'm a bit lazy in that sense, I have to admit. Um, I, I don't write the arc. Um, I rely um, on my instinct, the director, and, and the continuity girl, and uh, all those people whose job it is uh, to keep me in, to help me keep myself in the right place. No. That's great. Because I think that's some. it is, there is somebody there whose job it is to do it that. is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. sometimes I find that actors, when a continuity lady, and it, I'm saying lady because it, in my experience it always has been, but um, when they go over to an actor and say, oh, it was your right hand or you came in a bit faster in the scene we did too much with, some actors take that as a bit of a, a like an insult or a, or a sort of, and I don't know, I've never known why. I know, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, it, 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 it's an essential part of her job. You know, without her, you're, you're messing it up. You're, you know, yeah, we're, we're all part of a, of a team. This is the marvellous thing about our business. We all depend on each other. Nobody is um, good enough, big enough to do it themselves, to be on their own. You need everybody else. And that's what's so wonderful. It is. Also, uh, just with Claudius, obviously your, your physicality is quite violent at times. Did that take its toll on you? Did you, you know, did, did, did you feel, at the end of the day, did you feel physically, you must have felt physically tired and your neck must have been all over the place? It was tiring and I did early on um, uh, rip my neck badly. Um, I, I, it was a very early scene when I had to visit the Sybil um, and I, you know, I said to her, well, what do I do when I, talk to a Sybil. And she said, well, why don't you raise your arms in salutation and bow your head, and I, which I did, I bowed my head. He said, now twitch. And I twitched and put my neck out. Oh, oh, yes. So I was in a neck brace. Put the neck brace off and I twitched and I go, oh, it was so painful. Back on with a neck brace for several days. <laughs> One of the things I'd forgotten about watching it, watching it again is its humour and how funny it is. Yes, yes. That, that, the, scene, the, the scene when you get married and you both stand up. And she's, <laughs> she's enormous. And Sean says she just kept going. <laughs> yes. Yes, no, it, it was. It was full, full humour. I remember Sean had a line um, where she's busily slaughtering one of the youngsters. Um, she goes to visit this dying boy um, and uh, she says, uh, 
oh, thank you, uh, Grandma, and thank you for, uh, for being so good to me. And her exit line through the door was, goodness has nothing to do with it, which is the title of Mae West's autobiography. Wow, that is fantastic. <laughs> yes. My other favourite one is after she goes to visit Germanicus and she's leaving and Tiberius is there and she says to, as she's leaving, she says, don't touch the figs. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! Yeah. It was full of those wonderful little moments. Wonderful. But did that make it hard? I mean, in a two-day shoot, were the times... I mean, if anyone goes and stops corpsing, I mean, that must... The pressure must be terrible. It did, it did happen. It did happen. I, I, I remember one of my, uh, which I, I had watched, I watched it at a, uh, a special screening of bits at BAFTA. This was many years ago. It was Brian Blessed's death. Just brilliant. I mean, the camera goes in slowly, Brian, on the bed. Sean is walking behind him, doing all the talking. And this man is dying, and the camera comes in, and Brian dies. He actually dies. Got to the end of the scene and they had to retake it. And he had to do it again. And he did it again. And he died again. I've never seen an actor die like that. He That's he a, but also that is a brilliantly brave directorial choice because Sean has all the dialogue. Yes. And she's talking and talking and talking and it just stays on Brian. Yes. Until she closes his eyes. Yeah, and it's and then it cuts to her and she's weeping and it's the first time we've seen her really emotional in that way. It's it's a wonderful scene, wonderful yeah. scene. Love it. It's full of one. It's full of wonderful scenes, though. I have to say, I mean, just watching it again, it's just full of it. It's just brilliant. It's it really is, and because it is that hybrid between the theatre and television. The actors are able to deal with it in such a brilliant way, and you feel totally at home with it. And of course, the sets—you know—you know what it is. It's, a, it's. It would be made very differently now, but it's so brilliantly performed. I think we 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 were allowed to be a theatre company in front of cameras. We re we really were. We really were. But you didn't get to get your curtain call at the end. No, no. And um, uh, I got my comeuppance at the end because the BBC gave a luncheon for all the emperors. This was when we finished. All the emperors and the empresses were all invited to lunch at the BBC. We came into this room with the table all set out. And Johnny heard suddenly said, uh, um, Derek, I think this is you. And he said, okay. And I went over. And my place name said, David Jacoby. <laughs> they didn't know me a big name. <laughs> Were you straight on the phone to your agents? <laughs> <laughs> and also, and the other thing was, because um, Sean and, and Johnny Hurt and, and everybody, they, they, were, they were stars. They, they were known people, and they were paid more than me. Okay, fine. When it all ended, I got a check 
from the BBC for £600 for my conduct at rehearsals. Wow. An extra £600 for my conduct at rehearsals. That is... F- oh, if only they did that now. Talking 45 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We don't even get rehearsals anymore. <laughs> Which brings me actually straight up, because the other thing we wanted to talk about just briefly is uh, Last Tango in Halifax, which is just fantastic. Obviously, Sally Wainwright, great writing. But I've heard you say that what's great about Alan for you, even though you are a working-class boy, you've never, you don't get asked to play those roles. I don't, no. Um, I'm, I, I get... Uh... I get costume, classical, Shakespeare, uh, posh. Uh, I'm an East End lad, you know. Um, uh, but I'm never, I'm never cast ordinarily. Uh, I suppose in the course of my career, I've done a couple of parts where um, I was, I was rough. I once had to uh, kick Tom Courtney in the face as a hooligan um, on stage. Um, but, but no. So when, when Alan in, in Tango came along. I, I blessed the casting lady because I've, I've always been lucky as an actor. I've had so many opportunities, a huge amount of luck. And there it was, still happening, still being lucky. Well, your autobiography is called As Luck Would Have It, isn't it? That's right, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and well, you make it, you, we, we all are lucky in a way, but also I'm, I must say that, you know, that, the talent that we have to bring and the hard work that we have to have to have that luck. We, all, we have to acknowledge our luck, and I totally do that myself. But I think looking at your career, the, the building blocks are there and your hard work and your work ethic is there as well. You know, So we create our own luck to an extent as well, don't we? Yeah, we, to, yes, to an extent, yeah. I mean, we need, we need a modicum of talent, yes, um, we certainly need health and stamina, um, but we do need the luck in the sense of being given the opportunity to start whatever stuff we've got to start. And it's those opportunities that, that is, is sometimes based on being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Luck, you know, um, it does happen. And I think it's important to acknowledge that luck and just say, you know, I'm blessed here and that's where your and that's where your gratitude lives, and we you yes. totally need that, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and it's been wonderful talking to you. It's, I mean, I've been a fan of your work, you know, all my life, really. But I mean, you know, since I well, since I've been watching you anyway, which is not. But I mean, just stunning stuff. And watching I Claudius again. Honestly, it was such a pleasure, and it's so great to see you, but all, all of the actors, and, and what great work it was. You know, I, I never saw um, Claudius for 10 years, and I happened to be staying with a friend in Santa Barbara in California, and she almost literally locked me in a room one weekend, and made me watch all the episodes. It was rather good. I rather enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Thank you very much, Derek. It's been wonderful speaking to you. Great pleasure, David. Thank you. 
Who Am I This Time is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.